Well, good morning. Happy uh, Spring Forward Day. I wish we could just fall back all the time. Anybody a little groggy this morning? Lost an hour of sleep? All at night last night, I'm like, it's 9 o'clock. Oh, it's 10 o'clock. Oh, it's 11 o'clock. Oh. So in honor of that then, uh, I'm going to ask you all to stand up if you can. Everybody stand up. Stand up. You've been sitting for a minute. Been sitting for a minute. Let's stand up. Now you got all comfortable. Now we're going to do 10 jumping jacks. Everybody ready? I'm kidding. Why don't you just say hey to somebody around you? Um, you know, I would say greet them with a holy kiss. Probably safer to shake a hand. Um, if you can stretch a little bit. Some of y'all are antisocial. All right. So we're going to be uh, this morning in Luke chapter three and four for the most part. Um, and uh, it's where we're going to kind of kind of land for the most of this message today. We're going to continue this catalyst series that we've been in where we're looking at the, the catalyst to the growth of the kingdom, to our spiritual growth, um, to the growth of the kingdom in the earth. And, uh, and we've been looking, first off, we started out with worship. Um, the last week we started looking at prayer. And so we're going to continue that today. Um, last week, I want to kind of give you a quick uh, catch up from last week, um, just some general statements about prayer that I really want to um, mention to you again. I feel like they're important. We talked about last week how so many times in life we complicate things. We take simple things and we complicated them. I talked about going to a fancy restaurant, you know, you got all the forks and spoons and knives and it's all this confusion about which one do I use, right? And it makes something that's really simple, very difficult uh, for a simple person like me um, that, uh, you know, just eat it, right? Whatever you got, just eat it. It's kind of the, the point of that. And, and so we complicate things. I showed you um, how I started underlining and highlighting my Bible with different colors. And we agreed that's probably overcomplicating uh, how to read the Bible. Um, but for me, it kind of works. But many times we take simple things and we really complicate and we do the same thing with prayer. Um, simply put, prayer is communication with God. It's, it's speaking to God. It's listening to God. But so many times we get hung up on um, making it really complicated where God um, is much more concerned with um, our sincerity uh, rather than impressive speech. Um, and we talked about, can we really impress God anyway, right? Um, he's much more interested in us expressing our heart uh, than just being able to spout off some really good sounding words. And it's more about our longing for God and to be with God, um, to, to talk to him, yes, but also uh, to hear him and fellowship with him um, as he speaks to our hearts through his word, through prayer, all these different ways. It's much more about a longing for God than a mechanical uh, kind of rote um, lip service. And so um, very simple. Let's not overcomplicate it. We talked last week about the importance of praying God's word, that it's a catalyst that moves things forward, that God's word has authority, um, that when we begin to pray God's word, we're praying God's will and God's told us, if we ask anything according to his will, it'll be done. And so how can we be sure we're praying God's will? How we pray? No, we're praying God's heart. We pray God's word and we, we stand on it. We don't just pray once. We continue to pray and pray and pray. Um, things like, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that he would move in those ways. And so um, that's a little of where we've been. 
Um, today, we want to take it a little different direction. Um, but before we do that, let's read um, Luke chapter 3, beginning in 21 and 22. And then we'll jump down to a couple of other verses uh, in, in part of chapter 4. Um, so Luke chapter 3, verse 21, this is uh, the baptism of Jesus. It says, when all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. As he was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son with whom, with you I am well pleased, okay? Um, then we get to the genealogy. How many of you, when you get to the genealogies in the Bible, you're just kind of like yada, 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 next, right? Um, well, there, there's actually good things in there. Um, you you kind of have to dig around for it. But, but I want to go um, today, and this genealogy is not placed here by accident. Luke was very intentional as he wrote both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. But let's go to the very last part there um, of this genealogy, the last verse in chapter 3. Um, it says, the son of Enos, I ask not, is that the Dukes of Hazard? Enos? It, I don't know. Son of Seth, son of Adam, son of God. Okay. Now let's go on to end of four, verse one. It says, then Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. For 40 days to be tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days. And when the, they were over, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, it is written, Man must not live on bread alone. And Jesus, um, well, I just skipped four verses. Go back up to five. So he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, I'll give you their, I'll give you their splendor and all this authority because it's been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Verse nine, so he took him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, do not test the Lord your God. After the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. Well, let's pray and we'll... Uh, get into this. Lord, I thank you for your word and God that it is truth. I thank you that it does have the greatest authority in the universe, Lord. I thank you that it has creative power. I thank you that it has renewing power. And today through your spirit, Lord, I, I pray that it will uh, renew our minds. I pray that strongholds will be pulled down. And I pray, Lord, uh, that you would uh, just renew our hearts for the things that are important to you, Lord. God, set us free today through your truth. Jesus, you told us that we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. I pray, God, and thank you that that happens today. I love you, Lord. We, we thank you for all you've done and we thank you especially for who you are and your love towards us. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. I'm gonna take this a little bit different direction then I did at nine, and this, this may not work. I'm just gonna be honest with you. But um, I want to uh, try to help illustrate kind of the application of this before we actually get into kind of the why. 
and, 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 and the how of this. So uh, I wanna um, ask you this question. Uh, how many of you have believed lies in your life uh, that someone's told you? Anybody ever believed a lie? Yeah, we, we probably all have. Sometimes lies can be um, pretty hurtful, pretty damaging. Well, scripture tells us that Satan is the father of lies. Jesus told the Jewish people that were coming against him, he said, listen, you're, you know, you're sons of your father and, and, and you speak your native language, meaning you're sons of the devil and, and you're speaking lies and the truth's not in you. And, and Satan has been lying from the beginning. And so in our lives, many times, there are things that happen experientially there, that, that, that are said to us, that are done to us, that, that cause us to believe a lie. And I want you to hear this, that when Satan is able to get us to believe a lie and we give that lie a foothold. If that lie is not taken captive, and when I say taken captive, I mean this, um, 2 Corinthians 10 tells us that we don't fight with weapons that are fleshly, that are of us. We fight with weapons um, that God has given us that are powerful to pull down strongholds and to take thoughts captive and bring them into the obedience of Christ. So here's what I want you to see. If that lie is, is put into our mind and, and that thing's not dealt with quickly, then we give that lie a foothold. If that foothold is not dealt with quickly through the truth of God's word, then that foothold ultimately becomes a stronghold. And a stronghold determines how we think. It's an inaccurate way of thinking. When, I'm, when, I'm, um, when I have a stronghold in my mind, I'm thinking inaccurately. Um, we've talked about this before, how I think determines the decisions I make. The decisions that I make um, determines how I live our lives. That's why Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If I begin to think different, I make different decisions. I see life different. I see the world different. I live a different way. Um, it's part of our transformation into Christ. And so we've all entertained lies. We've all given lies a foothold in our mind, many times not even realizing it. Uh, many of us living out lies and living out in ways that we don't um, even understand why we do it. And many times it's because a stronghold has existed. A lie was told, a lie was done, a lie was, or something was interpreted that is not true. It got a foothold in my mind. That foothold stayed there for a period of time. And over a period of time, that foothold became a stronghold. Now, how many of you think that in your life, there have probably been experiences, there have probably been things said to you, there have probably been things done to you, things told to you that were not in line with God's truth and have caused you to see things inaccurately about you, your, um, about yourself, about others, about the world, about your purpose. Anybody here think that's probably happened to you? All right, so put on your thinking caps with me. This is the part that may not work. I want somebody, hypothetically speaking, this doesn't have to be you, we'll just say hypothetically. Tell me a lie that you believed that you recognized was not true, but in some way has the power to affect someone's life. Anybody? So I'm feeling pressure now because nobody's speaking. Somebody, yeah. Earn God's grace. That's perfect. Thank you. Why would, why would we think we have to earn God's grace? For me, it was like I felt like the bad stuff I've done in my life that I didn't earn grace. Yeah, so, so you, were, you weren't good enough. You could never earn. And so... 
part of that is truth. But what Satan does is he takes a half truth, he turns it into a full truth to, or a full lie to use against us. And so the truth is we can never earn God's grace. The lie of it is though, that I can never um, come to a relationship with God. And see, here's the thing is that um, the world around us teaches us that. Everything we do, everything that, that we are a part of in the world teaches us that whatever you get, you earn. Whatever you get, you earn. So can y'all see how that's a lie that every one of us to some degree are believing right now that everything you get is earned? Hands, right? So, so I want you to, I want to make sure this is applicable. I don't want to just be talking in some theoretical world. Um, and, and so what I have to do though, is if this is what I've believed all my life and, and it, I see it in work or I see it in sports, I see it in academics, I see it at home, I'm only worth what, however good I am today, then I have to bring that back to truth because what does the truth of God's word say? God's grace is freely given. You just need to come preach, dude. And God's grace is freely given. How am I saved? By faith, through grace, right? And so when my mind begins to try to tell me, you will never be good enough. You'll never have the ability to come to God. What you have done has been too bad. You'll never be okay. You'll never be right with God. What do I do? I let the truth Trump that lie. Allow the truth to speak to my heart and mind. And see, when the Bible is my ultimate authority, it has the power to set me free as Jesus said it would. The truth will set you free. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. From sin, yes. In salvation, yes. But also to live the life that Jesus called us to live. Now, now take that example and you could apply it to a million different things. For some of you, you had fathers that were very oppressive, very authoritarian, very, um, very um, hard on you. You never did enough good. You, you were never going to be anything. And so you come away and what happens is I transpose that or that lie onto God. And I begin to see God as this authoritarian figure that I'm never going to be good enough. But is that what scripture tells me? No. For some of you, you had fathers or mothers or other people in your life that were very important to you, that walked out of your life. And so what happens? That experience gets me then to start thinking and transposing that onto God. And so I begin to think that God must just be like all the people in my life. He've walked out on me and left me and never seemed to love me. And so he's probably going to do the same thing. And so then I find it really hard to trust God. Why? Because he's the God of my experience, not the God of truth. But when I see who he really is, if he was gonna forsake us, he never would have sent his son. He could have just gone off and started another universe. He could have blown us up in another week, he'd have had another one. Think about all the situations, all the things. Um, maybe you tried something, you, you went out for, uh, I don't know, band or baseball and, and you didn't make it. And, and, and then you carry this thing around with you that says, man, I wasn't good enough for that. And then every failure, it kind of compounds on itself until you just get this mindset that I'm never going to be good enough at anything. And I'm just, I'm just a waste of space. And you might not get to that level, but you can. 
And so we see this, but I have to bring all of that back to truth. And and it's not just these big things in our lives. It's little things all day long. We're being bombarded um, through everything with who I am and who I'm not gonna be. Let me just give you a silly example, okay? A silly one. Um, My son had two baseball games in Augusta yesterday. And after the games, we went out to eat. And uh, when we went to eat, I'm helping coach this team, this high school team. and so coaching high school, you wear baseball pants. You know, you kind of have to wear the uniform that the team wears. It's a sight to behold, I guarantee you. And, um, but I've got on these baseball pants and we're going into this restaurant. And I'm like, I don't want to go in here in baseball pants. I'm 44 years old. Why am I wearing baseball pants? You know what I mean? And it's like this self-consciousness that who cares, right? But what is it in me, still in me that goes, and I don't want to go in there in baseball pants. People want to look at me and go, think I'm crazy. Why well, I'm a 44-year-old man running around in baseball pants. What's the big deal? Right? Why does it matter? But do you see how much of our thought process and things are driven, insecurities are driven just by this whole process of the way we think when in the end, what does it really matter? We spend so much time wrapped up in, in thoughts and, and, and ways that, they're, they're driven by untruths, by lies. And so I want you to see the application of what we're about to talk about before we actually even get into why we can do this. Because it is a great privilege for us that the truth can set us free. That we don't have to live in the bondage of sin and not just sin, but what sin has caused that I don't have to spend my life trying to be good enough, that I can rest in my Father's love and and joy and the power of the Spirit. What a privilege, how awesome. And see, it happens because we have a new identity in Christ. It happens because, because of who we now have become. If we are a follower of Jesus, We have now become a new creation. We have now become um, an adopted son and daughter of the king. We now have a new identity in him that allows me to come boldly before the throne of grace. Who sits on a throne? The king. You know who has unlimited access to the king? His family, his children. And we have that unlimited access to go before the king. And how incredible, what a privilege that we can know him this way. We can be defined this way. And and I want to talk to you about why this identification is important. And I want you to see this, that when we come to the truth, this is where prayer comes in. It's It's not just knowing truth. We need to apply the truth. And typically when we think about applying the truth, we think of something I need to go do or something I need to stop doing. When one of the greatest ways we can apply the truth is by taking thoughts captive and and beginning to allow our mind to be renewed because when my mind's renewed, again, I begin to live a different life. I, I begin to step into who Christ wants me to be, created me to be, died for me to be. And so I, I stop and I, I recognize these thoughts that are inaccurate. I, I think about it, I grab hold of it. And then 
I pray and I give this to God and I say, Lord, through the power of your truth, I thank you that you set me free from this. I wanna see you, I wanna see the world, I wanna see me according to truth, not according to what I've been told or how I've always seen. And so we recognize this. This is where identity becomes really important as a catalyst to the kingdom growing. Most of the time we identify ourselves as Christians, even as Christians, we identify ourselves by what we do. When you talk to somebody, you meet somebody, what do we often say? Uh, what do you do? It's one of the first things, you know, kind of conversation starts. So what do you do? I'm not good at conversations because I don't ever even think about answering that. I'm just like, how's your mom in them? And then like, <laughs> then I go find a corner to stand in for the rest of the time. Um, and, and so we, we, we oftentimes, what do you do? Many of us subconsciously are defined by what we've done. So what do we, what we do and what we've done, what we need to do as Christians is redefine ourselves by what's been done and who we've become, not by what we do. Think about the power of our identity and, and identification. Uh, because if you're, if you, what you do is you're a fireman, then what do you do? You fight fires, you put out fires, fire and rescue stuff, right? What do you do if you're a teacher? You teach. What do you do if you're a builder? You build. What do you do if you're the president of the United States? You tweet. <laughs> what do you do if you're running for president of the United States? What were we talking about again? <laughs> I couldn't remember. Um, anyway, but, but what we do is often what defines us, right? Right, it, it defines who we are. If I'm a teacher, I teach. If I'm a builder, I build. If, I, if I'm a fireman, I fight fires. And so many times we get up in the morning, if I'm a banker, I bank you know, money, I bank clients, all this different stuff. And so I get up in the morning and I'm going to my occupation. If I'm a stay-at-home mother, I, I, you know, that's what I do, I'm a mom. Um, and we're going to our occupation, and we, but we're, we're kind of messed up in this because my thinking is, I'm going to be a fireman. I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to be um, you know, a, a police officer. I'm going to be a banker, whatever it is. When our true identity, our first and foremost identity should be, I'm going as a believer, as a follower of Christ. I'm on mission all the time because my true identity is not defined by being a banker or a firefighter or a policeman or a teacher or a preacher or a roofer or whatever it might be. My true identity is defined by my relationship with Christ and the fact that now I am in Christ. So I have a different mission. I have a different purpose. It's redefined. Why? Because now I don't see myself by what I do. I don't define myself by what I've done. I see myself in Christ and that sets me on a different path. It puts me on a different mission. So we have to come to this and realize this. How do I begin to recognize that? How do I begin to walk in that? I, I begin to have my mind renewed by taking thought captive, praying and bringing these things into obedience to Christ. Now, let's get into Luke chapter three, because I want you to see the reason that we can do this. This, this was exciting to me to prepare this. I hope you know, it'll be exciting to you to see this, um, because, because it's really fascinating when you look at this. If I were to put uh, a title over um, chapter three, verse 21 through uh, four, uh, really there in 13, I would put this as um, Jesus's identification 
with us. Jesus's identification with us. How many of you have read uh, verses 21 through 22 there or, or um, in one of the other gospels where Jesus is baptized and, and you see that he comes to be baptized by John and Jesus even, or John even tells Jesus, he says, uh, Jesus, I should be baptized by you. And Jesus says, no, um, we need to fulfill all righteousness. Uh, I need to be baptized by you. How many of you have ever read those passages and thought, why did Jesus need to be baptized? Anybody else ever read those and thought that? At least two people. So, hey, that's better than nine. I was like, so either they're way smarter than me or maybe they just never read, I don't know. But regardless, um, when you read this, the thought that comes to mind for me has always been like, why, why would Jesus need to be baptized? I mean, Jesus had no sin. Jesus had no reason of repentance. John was preaching a baptism of repentance is what the scripture says. He had no sin to turn from. Why is he um, doing this? And, and so when we look at this, what I want you to see in this is Jesus was not baptized because he had sin. Jesus was baptized to identify with our sin. Jesus is about to begin ministry. And, and at the very outset of his ministry, he comes and it tells us in scripture that sinners were coming from everywhere. People were coming from everywhere, repenting of their sin. John had a very powerful ministry and all these people are coming and, and they're being baptized by John. And Jesus sees all these sinners coming. What did he do? He came to save sinners. He came to save the sick. He didn't come for those who think they don't need a doctor. He came for those who do. And he sees all these sinners and he says, my ministry is to save sinners. And he goes and identifies with the sinners he's come to save. No reason for baptism. He, he had no sin. But I want you to see this, that, that the reason we can be identified with Christ is because he's identified with us. And see, here's the awesome thing, guys. He didn't just do it symbolically. Like this is setting up his ministry and ultimately leading to the cross. He didn't just do it symbolically where he's like, I'll identify with your sin. He, he did it literally physically, spiritually, as he went to the cross because he identified most with our sin on the cross where our sin was placed upon him along with the full wrath of God to take our condemnation and punishment so that we wouldn't have to. What an awesome thing. We see this symbolic um, identification with sin, but then we see it fulfilled in the cross. The second thing I want you to see is you go through the genealogy there. You get to the end of it, it's real interesting. Luke does this differently than Matthew. Matthew began with Abraham and went down to the birth of Christ. Um, Luke does the opposite. He begins with Joseph, Jesus's um, human father, and, and he comes all the way down uh, then to Adam. And it's real interesting because what's it say at the very end of 38? He says, son of Adam, son of God. There's a lot of son of God talk in these two chapters where you look at his baptism, the heavens open, God, the father spoke over him. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. We get to 38, son of Adam, son of God. We get to the temptations, two of the three temptations begin with if you are the son of God. And this is important to see. Um, and one of the reasons it's important to see this is because another way Jesus was identifying with us is he was identifying um, as the last Adam, the second Adam, um, the, 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 the perfect Adam. He came to be this final son of God. The first son of God did what? He sinned, he fell, and he brought hell on earth. 
Um, and then the second Adam, though, Jesus is perfect in every way, lives a righteous life so we can have his righteousness. But, but what did he do? He came and lived and existed in the midst of hell and all of this fallen creation so that you and I could come to life. The first Adam existed in paradise and rebelled against God and brought all of us death. But the second Adam came and lived in, a, he's in a, going into a wilderness. He lives in a fallen world that is sin stained. All of this stuff has happened. It's marred. It's a, a poor version of what God intended. And yet he lived his life perfectly so that we could find life. If you take the first Adam and you take Jesus and you hold him up, you see this completely different thing. Think about this. Adam is, is given life. He's in, the, he's in the garden. He's in paradise. He's in heaven uh, on earth, literally. And then you look over here at Jesus. He's going about to go into a wilderness. He's in this place of, of, of suffering and rejection. And yet this Adam fell and this Adam was faithful. Y'all get y'all seen this? This exciting? It's exciting to me to see these kind of things. So Adam had heaven on earth and turned it to death. Jesus faced hell on earth so we could have life. The next thing we see is the temptation. So the first thing in his baptism, he identified with our sin uh, with as being the second or the last Adam. He identified with our hopelessness, the weakness of our flesh. He identified with, then he comes in and he identifies again with our weakness by enduring this temptation He's identifying with our weakness. He's stepping in. It tells us in the very end of chapter four, after the devil had finished every temptation, I'm not saying that Jesus went through every single temptation that there is on the face of the earth, but what I do know is this, he endured temptation so that Hebrews 4.15 could tell us we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every way has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. He didn't fall to temptation. He stood firm. He remained faithful. And I want you to see how this happened. Again, Jesus identifying with us in our temptation. I don't believe, guys, that it was coincidence that in Luke 21 and 22, when Jesus is baptized, it says the heavens were open. Literally, uh, Mark tells it this way. I, I think in the NIV it translated, like said, as the heavens were torn. I love that vision of this, this, the heavens being torn and the spirit of God descending on Jesus and, 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 him, and the father speaking over Jesus and saying, you are my son with whom I'm well pleased. You are my son with whom I'm well pleased. We get over to the temptation. What does Satan start two of the three temptations with? If you are the son of God, you think when Jesus heard that, something went ding, 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 ding. You know, when I was baptized, the heavens were open, the spirit came down and I heard my father say, you are the son of God. Do you think maybe that was important for him before he went into this temptation? Maybe that's why he withdrew to isolated places many times to pray, just to get back in tune, make sure I don't drift away from this reality that I am the son of God. I have a very specific mission. And so in this, Satan's trying to get him to forsake the mission to come over here um, to him. And he begins to challenge him. If you are the son of God, do this. But Jesus, obviously knowing he is the son of God, Satan's goal to get him off mission, two of the three beginning with, if you are the son of God, you know what I found? 
many times when we're not living on mission, many times when we're um, living in bondage, it's because as Christians, we've forgotten whose we really are. It's because as Christians, we've forgotten who we really are. And life becomes a downward spiral of bad decisions. When all we really need to do is come to the truth and realize again that I can identify with Jesus because he's identified with me. And when I'm weak, he's strong. And he gives me the ability to be faithful through the power of his spirit. So we see in this temptation that Jesus stood firm and identity. He knew who he was. Even with the temptation that Satan offers him the kingdoms, he said, I'll give all this to you and authority because it's been given to me. Adam handed over this authority. Now Satan has it. He says, I'll give it to you. The question for Jesus then becomes, am I gonna forsake all of the rejection and the suffering? Am, am I gonna walk away? Can, uh, you know, I, can, I can go away from the rejection and the suffering and, and I can get this crown. I, I can be king over the world. And then the other option is I can go through the rejection and suffering and I can end up on a cross. Do I take the crown or the cross? Do I take the crown or the cross? And see, Satan still presents us with the same things. We keep striving for the crown and walking away from the cross. The crazy thing is though, if we don't walk through the cross, then we miss the resurrection. We miss the life. And we take what looks good and forsake the way of life in following Christ. There's a passage in Jude book of Jude that talks about how these people are chasing clouds with no rain. And I feel like as people, as believers, what happens so many times is we chase clouds with no rain. We chase this cloud, this, this cloud that it, it appears to have what, what we need. It, it could refresh, it could satisfy. And we chase this cloud and we get there and there's nothing in it. And, but, then, but then there's this bigger cloud. There's a bigger one. Oh, that's, that's gotta be it. And we keep chasing. I remember when we first started the church, I, I, I chased the cloud. I thought, man, you know, because we were taking criticism, just different things. You know, I don't need another church. We don't, blah, 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 all this stuff, right? And, and so um, I remember thinking if we could get to 100 people, whew, people would recognize that we're a church, right? That, that we would have some... some uh, some credibility. When we got to 100, I thought, man, if we can get to 200, then, then I think that would be good. I think, I think we'd be all right then. And we get to 200, and I'm like, man, if we could get to 350, that would really do it. We get to 350. And what I just want you to see is we were chasing clouds, or I was. I was chasing these clouds that if I can get there, I'll find security. If I can get there, um, we'll know we're okay. If we can get there, guess what? Those clouds were never gonna do that. Only until I realized who I am in Jesus and really began to fight and stand on that was I able to find the satisfaction, the refreshing, and the life that I'd been looking for. And it's the same way with us. Am I gonna chase the crown? Am I gonna chase the cloud? Am I just gonna follow Jesus? Am I gonna go the way of the cross so that I can really find life? The last way he identifies with us is in the statements he makes. 
And this is really cool. This is really interesting because, you know, we always talk about with these passages, you've been around church, that Jesus used the word to defeat Satan and to overcome this temptation, which is absolutely true. But there's something a little more here to this. When you look at each of these scriptures that Jesus quotes, a man must not live on bread alone, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Do not test the Lord your God. Um, All of those come out of the book of Deuteronomy. And specifically, they come out of a part of Deuteronomy that's talking about the Israelites in the desert. And here's what's cool. These Jewish people, these, these, these chosen people of God, the people that the, the Messiah Jesus came from. And so when he's quoting these things, every one of these scriptures that he uses, the people of Israel had failed at them. Okay? They'd all, they had failed at every one of these. And so when we look at this, man must not live on bread alone. Well, guess what? They squabbled in the desert. We don't have anything to eat. He gives them manna. He gives them bread. We don't have any meat now. Gives them quail. But we don't have uh, tired of quail. It's like going to eat dinner with your kids. I don't want a quesadilla. Well, get a hot dog. I don't want a hot dog. Get chicken fingers. I don't want them to just sit there and starve. Anybody else ever done that? That's how it goes. Just a loving father. You ever think like in 10, 15 years, what's my kid going to be telling the therapist? You know what I'm saying? You ever think about that? I know what I told him. I wonder what he's going to tell him. Try to head that off as best we can, right? By, by helping them stand in truth. Um, but, but we look at this. They'd failed at every one of these from the bread, they, they had worshiped other gods and turned from the God. They didn't trust the one and only God to, to deliver them. And all of these things, they put the Lord their God to the test. They failed in them all. So again, it's like Jesus or not like he is saying, he's saying this, Israel was meant to be the true son of God, the true children, the sons and daughters of God. And he's saying, but now Jesus has come and he is the perfect son. He is the true son. He's the one who's come to do what the Israelites could never do because they were weakened in their flesh and their ability to live out this righteous life of God. And Jesus is saying, I've come to make all that's wrong right. And it's gonna be done through my life and death and resurrection. And I want you to see from that, from the baptism, I want you to see from him being the second Adam. I want you to see from the temptations he endured. I want you to see from him becoming as the true son of God that Jesus identified with us so we can identify with him. Now, how does this happen? I got four minutes, less than four minutes. Who believes I can do it? Y'all ain't been coming here long, have you? All right. So let's jump in it real quick. Go to John chapter one, John chapter one. We're going to do this. John chapter one, verse 29. Let's read about five verses. It says the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, here is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the spirit uh, descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Next verse, 
I've seen and testified that this is the son of God. So Jesus has identified with us. I've told you we have a new identity in him. In order for that to happen, for me to have a new identity in Christ and for me to be able to pray and stand on God's truth, I've got to identify myself with him. He's identified with me, now I identify with him. But how does that happen? We see a picture of it in John 1, 29 through 34. What, what I want you to see here is John says this. He says, now behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But how did he know that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? How did he know that? He didn't just see him one day and be like, hold the Lamb of God. And that would be weird. Wouldn't make any sense. He tells us later, he said, the only way I knew that he is the son of God, that he is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He said, I saw the spirit descend upon him and remain. And the one sent me, who sent me to baptize, he's the one who told me, the one upon whom you see the spirit descend upon and remain, he's the son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. And John says, I have seen and I testify. So here's the thing, guys, listen, when, when, we come to the realization of who Jesus is. It's revealed to us the same way it was revealed to John. The Father reveals the Son through the Spirit. Okay? The Father reveals the Son through the Spirit. When we hear the gospel, the good news of Christ, that he came, lived a perfect life for us that we couldn't live, that he went to the cross and took our sin upon him, that not only did he take our sin upon him, but he took the wrath of God upon him. He took the condemnation that we deserve upon himself so that we could be set free. He was condemned, he was judged so that we wouldn't have to be judged for our sins, so we wouldn't have to be condemned for our sins. When we hear about Christ and we see what Jesus has done through the preaching of the word of God, the Father opens our eyes to see the Son through the Spirit. And we know that Jesus is the Son of God because the Spirit has revealed him to us. And we recognize and we see. And then the same Spirit, listen, this is so incredible, guys. The same Spirit that opened our eyes, that descended upon Christ, that Spirit, once our eyes are opened and we come to this place of faith, the same Holy Spirit, the same person in the Trinity, in the Godhead, that same Spirit comes into our life as we put our faith, our belief, our trust in Christ. We live our lives and we yield them to him. We begin to follow him. The Spirit comes into us and what we talk about being born again happens. What does that mean? I'm born to new life. I go from spiritual death to spiritual life. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead raises me to life and God gives me a new heart and I begin to have new desires and he begins to write his word on my heart. He begins to renew my mind through his truth. And I literally begin to have this new life because of what God has done for me and is now doing in me and ultimately is going to do through me through his grace. Then I come to this place where I'm not just born into a new life. I'm born into a new family with a perfect father. We look at Christ, we see what the Father is like. The Bible tells us that he, he was the, um, the, the fullness of the deity of God. He shows us who the Father is. So now I'm adopted in and there's no take backs. Yesterday, my, my oldest son took my youngest son to the bathroom to wash their hands. Well, only one comes back and it's my oldest son. I'm like, hey, where's Reed? 
He's like, he's still in the bathroom. I said, you sold him, didn't you? He was like, yeah, kind of joking around. I said, you tell him no refunds, all sales are final. Yeah, I'll get that. No, maybe not. Maybe it's just not that funny. But anyway, I was kidding though. I love him. Um, and, and so that's not how the father works. Our adoption is not like refundable. That's not how God works. And so we're born in a new, this new family with a perfect father. We're born um, into a new identity. We're born into a new purpose. And the spirit of God is the sign, the, the guarantee, the seal that tells us that I belong to him. Here's, here's how I want to end this today. One is I want to encourage you. Stand in truth. Pray truth. When lies begin to come and, and you recognize that and God, God's revealing to you that you've bought into lies and different things that aren't true, come to the truth. Pray the truth. Allow the truth through prayer to pull those strongholds down. When Satan's trying to get a foothold into your mind, it'll ultimately work down into your heart, uh, establishing a stronghold in your mind. Take that foothold. Don't give it a place in your mind and in your heart. Let truth replace that. The second thing I want to encourage you with is when the Bible talks about the heavens being open, and again, I love the way Mark said it, that heaven was torn and the spirit descended. What that would have meant, especially to the Jewish readers, is when the, it says the heavens were open or the heavens were torn and the spirit came down, it would have indicated to them that a revelation was coming. A revelation was coming. What was the revelation? That the son of God, the lamb of God has arrived and that he's come to take the sin of the world upon himself so that we could be set free from our sin and set free to live for God. For some of us in here today, you've never had that revelation before, but sometime maybe over the last few months, maybe just in the last few minutes, God's opened your eyes to reveal to you who he is. In other words, the father has revealed the son through the spirit to you. The heavens have opened and a revelation has come as to who Christ is. And for some of you, you realize, I need to follow him. I want him. He's the way to life. I'm even willing to trade in my crown for the cross if that's what it means to find life. And what this is, guys, is when the revelation of Jesus comes and I decide, Lord, you've shown me this. I want to spend my life following you. I want the life that only Jesus offers. And so what we want to do is we wanna acknowledge that. That you've come to this place of saying, I wanna follow Jesus with my life. And so today, if you've never done that, but you would say the Father has shown me the Son through the Spirit for the first time, I see it and I want it. 
I want to put the weight of my life through trust and faith, belief in Christ and follow him. This is what I ask you to do. I want to ask you, it's a very bold thing, but it's something to celebrate, not be ashamed of. I want you to stand to your feet and say, that's me today. The Lord's revealed the Son through the Spirit, and today I want to begin following him. I want to do that for the rest of my life. My son asked me last week, he's like, Dad, is it awkward when you do that and nobody stands up? I'm like, not anymore. I think it's more awkward for the people out there than it is for me. Okay. Well, listen, let's pray and let's walk out of here and let's remember who we are by faith in Christ, let's stand firm and let's live our lives in this new identity on this mission that God's given us. Father, thank you for your truth and your word. Thank you, God, that you set us free from the labels of this world. Thank you, God, that we can walk in your truth, that you set us free to live for you, Lord. And God, we just give you all the praise and the glory for all of it because you did for us what we could not do, God. You, you gave your life, you gave your son, that we, Lord, could be set free to live for you and to have life eternally. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, y'all have a good week.